Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hey, this is Travis Beecham, writer of Pacific Rim, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. And this is a Nerdy Show Microsode. I'm your host, Cap, and with me on this Microsode is... Danica from Nerdy Show. I'm Luke, Nerdy Show participant. And I'm Laval, Nerdy Show Live Programming Director. And right now, we're going to talk about our favorite writing duos. This is a double-length episode brought to you by the illustrious and very wealthy Ross Butler. He wants to know our favorite writing duos and uh, discuss the dynamics of writing as a group, i.e. Abnett and Lanning, who created the modern incarnation of Guardians of the Galaxy, Weiss and Hickman, Kyle and Yost, etc., etc. But we're not just going to be touching on comic books. We're going to be talking about writing duos across all literary genres. And man, there's a surprising number of them, in fact. I think it's an ideal writing situation. It's important to have a sounding board, whoever you are. In fact, most solo authors will you know, have somebody that they go to bounce things off of. But sometimes... Two people work together in tandem and do far greater things than they could have alone. Here's a near and dear example from my favorite pop culture things. Eastman and Laird, creators of Ninja Turtles. I like one of them more than the other of them when they go solo, but when they're together... Everybody likes either John or Paul. It's possible to like them both, but yeah, once you get them together, I mean, you got the Gilbert and Sullivan, you got the Rogers and Hammenstein, you got the Elton John, the Bernie Taupin... Hall and Oates. And the, uh, no, the, Hall, the Hall and Oates... And the Lennon and the Lennon McCartneys and the Cashes. I guess when I think of writing duos, I really do songwriters come up more yeah, for yeah. me than anything else. Yeah, like uh, Cash and Carter, Michael McDonald, and Kenny Loggins. Whoa! <laughs> of course. Yes, just like that. Sunny and Cher. I think I get a little scared when I see books that have more than one author on them. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's just some weird prejudice I realize that I have. But it just so happens that one of my favorite books of like the five that I've kept through every move I've had, and I've moved a lot, is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. I don't know where one starts and the other begins with that book. Yeah, and I just think that they meld really well. They've got their friends. They have similar humor. I just love the book, and it happens to be one of my favorites and happens to be a writing duo. So I realized I had read a series of books by an author, uh, Ilana Andrews, which is apparently a pen name for a husband and wife team. That happens more often than we know. Right. I didn't know it until I just Googled writing duos. As we recently learned in a past Nerdy Show book club when we found out that K.A. Applegate, uh, who wrote Animorphs, was in fact Catherine Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant. And they had been a duo the whole time. I've never read Animorphs, but I did read Adam and Eve, um, the book that they did together. Even Adam. Or even Adam. Sorry. <laughs> 
there's plenty of duos in entertainment. Like there's the Wachowskis, of course, who did The Matrix. And then every film that they've done following that, they've done in tandem. Glenn Morgan and James Wong, writing duo behind some of the best known X-Files episodes from seasons one through four, who uh, together as the executive producers of Millennium, when they stepped in in the second season, made a great show even better and collaborated a number of other projects outside of the X-Files continuity such as uh, Willard. They wrote the early 2000s remake of Willard starring Crispin Glover, which is a uh, great film with a wonderful soundtrack by Shirley Walker, who uh, did the score for Batman the Animated Series. This is why I love you, Cap. <laughs> Morgan and Wong, they created Tombs. He's the guy who can like stretch through tiny openings and expand his epidermis and, and contract his body and all that. The, like The lethal animalistic contortionist that lurks in the dark and hibernates for decades. Super iconic early X-Files creation. I haven't seen that one, but just that that description is horrifying. And it's funny is that sounds like something that two people would come up with because one of them had the idea of the contortionist and the other <laughs> one's like, man, what if there was somebody that like hid in the darkness could just come out of nowhere like, wait, and then it like just mashed them up together. I think that's one of the things you get out of a duo is you have somebody to escalate your good idea or tell you your idea is crap. It's almost like a good friendship. You have that friend where like you come up with, hey, we should go to the bar. And you're like, well, that's a great idea. And you go to the bar and then you, your friend's like, hey, let's turn this into a bar fight. Almost like the most mischief you get into or good ideas you get or awful ideas, which in writing oftentimes turned out to be great ideas. It seems like you always need that person, like you said, to escalate. Well, actually, we interviewed Abnet and Lanning ages ago, early nerdy show stuff. And uh, I think if I remember this correctly, because I, I haven't listened to the episode since we recorded it, they would go down to the pub and throw ideas back and forth. That was their writing process for working together. And I mean, those guys, as far as like modern comic writing duos, they have, you know, a legacy. Everything, oh, everything that people love about the Guardians of the Galaxy film is their work. And unfortunately, they actually broke up. From what I've heard, not on great terms. The last thing they did together was a uh, two-part Guardians of the Galaxy comic set in the cinematic universe. Canonical work for the cinematic universe. And it's weird. I don't know the details. I don't know why. There must have been a Yoko. Get fucked. <laughs> Tired of that scapegoat, huh? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I blame the fifth Beatle. The comic book? Yeah. But that's an interesting conversation to have because, I mean, Fifth Beetle is a work of art in no small part due to Andrew Robinson's incredible art, but also Vivek Tuari's writing. Hmm. And that's true. I guess, you know, to say like a writing duo, when you talk about things like comics, it's really like the artist, you know, writes in a way because the script is not always cemented. I had a funny thing happen to me a number of years ago, the first time we did Heroes Con, and I was introducing Bill Willingham when we were doing a panel with him. I was saying he was the writer of Fables. He was like, well, no, I'm a creator of Fables. Because the artist, sometimes an artist can be a hired worker who's a means to an end. Sometimes that's a relationship. But oftentimes, in the most successful comics, in the ones that are really lasting, it'll be a very in-depth creative partnership between the artist and the writer. Uh, that's in large part why Stan Lee got all that credit for it, creating all the Marvel characters, when in fact so much credit was really owed to the artists like Jack Kirby, who were actually creating the visual elements of these things that were stringing them together, and Stan Lee just filled in the word bubbles. With comic books, it's a very dynamic relationship between author and artist, and sometimes it's really hard to tell where one starts and the other ends. There's a lot of great partnerships in comic from just the writing angle, though. Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, husband and wife team, they work together and produce a Harley Quinn comic so good. She's been a character who's struggled. She was only truly great in the animated series. They brought her over to the comics continuity, and she floundered. No one could figure out what to do with her. Was she a sex pot? Was she like a Deadpool equivalent? What the heck was she supposed to be? And they've 
actually rounded out the character despite the bullshit origins offered to her with the new 52 and made her something. I would recommend the Harley Quinn book to anyone. And Palmiotti is no stranger to teaming up with other people. He often teams up with Gray. And Gray and Palmiotti, I mean, they made their modern career within the past 10 years out of writing Jonah Hex, creating the modern pulp Western comics and set in the prehistory of the DC universe, basically. And those guys work together on tons of stuff. So do you get excited when you see that doers are working on things, on comics and things like that? Do you, you really like the idea that there are people bouncing back and forth? Yeah, well, I know that if they don't work together constantly, I'll know that together it's a case where, you know, two heads are better than one. There's no one whose name is stuck on there obligatorily. You know you're getting into something that's more dynamic. Do you think there's ever a fear with each author that one may overshadow the other? Who could say? Maybe that's why some people break up. I know uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub did a book called The Talisman together, and they did eventually do a sequel to it several years later. And to me, it seemed like Stephen King's storytelling overshadowed his a lot, and the storyline matched up with things in Stephen King's universe more than maybe Peter Straub's did. So that's what made me think of that question. Well, that's tough. If you start a universe from the beginning, then two people can probably own it together, have a great confidence in developing it. But for somebody like Stephen King, who's like so notorious for weaving everything he's ever written into a unified existence. Yeah, the Dark Tower is very omnipresent in his mind. Right. And and of course, that was what was woven throughout the Talisman books was the the Dark Tower universe. So I hate to be that guy who throws like something personal into a microsode. (laughs) But now that you mention it, now you got me thinking. I have something. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to spoil any future nerdy show work. However. There is a project that I've been working on that I kind of started writing. And one of the things I realized was, that, you know, it can't be written alone. Jokes are funny to yourself, but how do you mm-hmm. know they're funny to others? So one of the biggest fears I've had is working with other people. And I've kind of haven't put it out there as much as I should be. And that's true that like within writing duos, there is that fear that now it's no longer going to be mine. Yeah. For example, with Lightning Dogs, the project that Nerdy Shows developed together by accident, There will probably come a time where each of us will like write an independent story, but we'll all have read it. We'll all have overseen it. It's something we created together and it's so much more unique for having been that way because any one of us would have probably done the wrong thing with it. But together, it's very, very right. There's a system of checks and balances. Of course, that's not a duo. That's like, that's quite a few people. Well, no, but I mean, it's duos and groups and it's still kind of a duo in a sense of that when you have that conversation, you're still bouncing off of one person and then somebody else bounces it off and that's like a more of a pentagram, I guess. Right. A cool duo who I would be remiss to not mention, but who may be off many people's radars is Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi. They're the creators and writers of The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Ooh. And those guys, in addition to creating, you know, one of the most memorable, best written and unique children slash all ages live action show of all time and cathartic yeah it is cathartic right because i mean <laughs> for them because i'm saying like their dynamic is probably very much pete and pete as writers i, I met the guys i mean i don't know well I don't, now but i mean but but maybe back then yeah but i don't know it's, it's cathartic for me it seems deeply personal but then you're like whose life could have been like this <laughs> I think what that show captures is the weirdness of teenagehood, even though it doesn't like go for the direct references. Everything is weird because being a teenager is freaking weird. Your brain is flooded with hormones. You may as well be on hallucinogens. Yeah, and that's what it was, man. And they managed to really capture that. It is reality skewed, and it walks that line between taking yourself too seriously, as some of the characters do, and living in a cartoon, as other characters do. And just like the whole tomb thing, like nobody could have come up with that on their own. 
that had to have been somebody taking it to the next level and somebody just encouraging you chiding you on be like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah oh yeah then what then I what? think the details about Artie, the strongest man in the world, are two people laughing and making each other laugh about designing <laughs> the stupid character. And then like they're like, wait a second. He loves the smell of tire air. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds him of his mother. <laughs> I never thought of that show as a teen show, though. I don't know why that is. I mean, that wasn't its demographic specifically. Yeah. Like, so when you're aiming at a young demographic, you go an age group up because right. they, that's where they want to be. I know what you're saying, but that show did not seem to be aging itself up. Kind of, kind of sophomoric, right? I didn't think of them as being teenagers, although I guess the older Pete was a teenager. Yeah. But I thought more of the older teenager as he was hanging out with the younger kids. Well, it was a blend. It was a unique blend. And so one of the good. things that really contributes to it being a show that could be enjoyed by all age groups is the mm -hmm. fact that you have the storyline for young Pete and his concerns are much different from right. older Pete's. He deals with some pretty heavy stuff with, I think I'm in love with my best friend. What do I do? That's true. Young love. And then young Pete has a barbecue chicken eating contest for fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> and kind of going off that with television and stuff also in film, of course, is a lot of duos. But what we find even more is like a and I'm going to count this as a writing duo. You have somebody who writes for a specific actor and that actor kind of goes along with it. I know that I'm always talking about John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. But that's truthfully like they're a, a writing duo. And they live Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David. They were a writing duo when they choreographed that fight scene, yep. that iconic fight scene. And again, that's something that's so fucking ridiculous. There's no way any one of them alone could have come up with that. That is something that had to have been bounced off of somebody and taken to the next level, for sure. As they uh -huh. bounced off their heads from the pavement. Dude, that was so good, though. <laughs> yep. Only Piper. Obviously, all those roles that John Carpenter worked with, Kurt Russell, that was him, you know? Yeah. Escape from L.A., that sequel, was all, was him and Kurt Russell sitting there going, let's make another movie. Escape from Earth never happened, but same kind of thing. Uh, it was the other one, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. There's a third person in the Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Yes, and I feel awful Nick that Frost? I just said that. There we go. <laughs> I feel so bad for forgetting. I know Nick Frost is like the actor, but again, it's one of those things where like the role was written obviously for Nick Frost. Imagine anybody else in one of those roles. It's not going to happen. End of the World. Is that the name of the movie? World's End. World's, World's End. End. World's yeah. End. That's it. No, nobody else can give the people's elbow to a robot in the bathroom. <laughs> that, that was perfect. So it's one of those things where like, you know, even in films, even if you're not given a writer's credit, there are those duos that happen. Another example there is Paul Mooney wrote with Richard Pryor on basically everything that Richard Pryor wrote. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of people behind the scenes. Collaboration. Collaboration is so important. And in many cases, you got to really like read into someone's backstory to find out about the person that really made someone work. For example, and I didn't really expect it to go down this route, but Marcia Lucas, without her, we wouldn't have the Star Wars trilogy. She made George Lucas's material readable. She's what separated the kind of crap that made up the prequels to the stuff that we got on screen the first time around. I'm tired of telling him no. She was his friend, his confidant, and she helped humanize his very inhuman, unfeeling scripts when he eventually let his business get bigger than his life with her and pushed her away and they separated, that's where things went downhill. I don't really know much about this. Let me guess. Are they not together anymore? Yeah, no. <laughs> was that before the crappy prequels? It was like during <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> Marcia Lucas was effectively whitewashed from history. Right. She was at one point one of the most powerful women in Hollywood and mm -hmm. was the first prominent female editor of major motion pictures. And pretty much actually a genius. Yeah, she was responsible for American graffiti working. Yeah. Uh, not to mention Star Wars, of course, but like she worked for Coppola. Yeah. Funny story about Apocalypse Now, talking about duos, she, she I don't think she was ever credited, but his wife pretty much, again, kind of made that story happen. 
Francis Ford Coppola's wife. Coppola. Yeah. I actually never watched Apocalypse Now. You know how like it's basically Heart of Darkness but set in Vietnam? Yes. That's no? what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's say okay. Well, the actual story of how that film was produced and almost ruined and everything else also parallels Heart of Darkness. In fact, there's a documentary about it. Hearts of Darkness, which is now after many years available. It was actually because it portrays Francis Ford Coppola mm -hmm. in such a negative light and so on. It's been buried. It, it was buried by him and Lucas. <laughs> but in recent years has made it back to home video, so you can watch it. And no spoilers, but one of the things that happens is he kind of becomes a recluse and goes native, literally starts hanging out with the natives in the area, and Maeve even drank some bone soup, like some human bone, <laughs> human remain soup and all sorts of weird stuff. Holy crap. But his wife is the one that kept them together and continued the script edits while he was kind of out of it. God knows what was happening. <laughs> if you're in the middle of nowhere, no one's ever going to hear about anything. Someone offers you that soup. What do you do? Oh, yeah, no, you're going to eat it. Because you're like, <laughs> oh, soup. And then you realize, wait a minute, there's no grocery store. There's a human skull. We haven't seen that intern for seven days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I wonder what the dynamic of husband, wife, or even family member teams. When I was looking up duos, I saw one of the titles that I didn't look into was father-son writing duos. How that you know, works out. I could see that being kind of disastrous. It could be kind of weird. I do know of a father-son writing team. There's the Knopfs. I don't remember their first names, but they wrote some really great Iron Man several years ago. I highly recommend their volumes that they wrote. I don't know what's happened to them since. I haven't heard from them. I haven't seen their name on any comics recently, but they were something. They did a really great Iron Man. A father-daughter team. According to Terry Pratchett, his daughter has been assisting him in writing the Discworld series for the past uh, handful of books. Her name escapes me, and I feel terrible about it, but apparently she's going to be picking up the mantle. Has she been receiving credit for it? I don't know. I read that somewhere. I can't recall even. I'm sorry. I don't know if we want to go down this route, but I actually have the first book that Michael Grant and Catherine Applegate wrote together. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Under the pseudonym Catherine Kendall, it's a Harlequin temptation book called The Midas Touch. Oh my god, that looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just open up to a random page and maybe read a passage? Okay, sure. So, what's he after? Jake whispered, nodding toward the dog. Oh no. Buried treasure. Her voice was edged <laughs> with more sarcasm than she'd really intended. For some reason, his presence here made her feel slightly off balance and defensive. His lips eased into a smile. A kindred spirit. As if to prove the point, Cypher, roused by the unfamiliar male voice, bounded toward him like a long-lost friend, settling most of his furry bulk in Jake's lap. <laughs> Down, boy. Shelby chastised half-heartedly. That's okay. We seem to have reached an understanding. Jake studied her face searchingly. I was hoping you and I might do the same. Hence the wine. Unfortunately, I seem to have run out of wine glasses. 
<laughs> what are they gonna drink it out of, guys? I'm gonna pour some wine into my mouth and then spit it into your mouth. That seems like a duo thing. <laughs> wine is properly drunk out of the bottle only. Writing duo is more like writhing duos. The art on the front of that book is horrifying. <laughs> Can you describe kind it? A, 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 a Burt Reynolds being aggressively snuggled by a Kim Basinger. <laughs> and that's being generous. <laughs> Pretend this is one of those like accessibility things where you have to describe the picture to a blind person. <laughs> sexy, sexy, sexy. Burt Reynolds with an orange spray tan. That might actually be Burt Reynolds. A Baywatch reject in an orange high-cut one-piece bathing suit. I just really want to smell the cleft of your chin. <laughs> <laughs> Sniffing her chin. No trashy romance novel without Fabio on the cover is worth my time. Nope. <laughs> I would have stockpiled a couple hundred more if I'd known you were planning on entertaining half the population of the town. It's <laughs> about condoms. Pretty loud, huh? She sighed. No, not really. I'm just used to the quiet. She looked away, avoiding a steady gaze. It's just the crew and some of the folks we met around town. I'll put out the word to cool it. He moved to gently dislodge Cypher from his lap, who was hiding his boner conveniently. That doesn't say that, guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it man. It doesn't say that. I don't know. It's kind of slow right there. It was I pretty know, hot for a second. I was really like, wondering where all the burners were. I don't know if you guys have actually read a lot of these romance novels. There's usually only maybe two sex scenes in a romance novel, and most of it is just a bunch of slow bullshit <laughs> waiting for that to happen. Yeah, when I told him we had a copy of this, he said, oh, good, something to use for kindling. I used to pick up my mom's books and just flip through it and then dog ear where the sex scenes finally started. Yeah. <laughs> Setting it aside for later. <laughs> You'd really have to sort through this to find the good stuff if there is any. Although it's a surprisingly short book. Yeah, it's meant for getting, for getting out of business. So, uh, oh my God, were there any duos that wrote any Batman and Robin stuff? Because that would well, be... I mean, it was kind of a writer artist collaboration, but they certainly collaborated writing wise. Bruce Tim and Bruce Tim, as in Bruce Wayne, Tim Drake, get it? Bruce Tim. Oh, zing. has anybody else ever caught that? Because every time I see that name, that's what I think. Yeah, I think that's probably been a thing, except that they didn't invent those characters' names. Anyway, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini, yeah. See, which is great. Like one of them can write Robin, and the other one can write Batman. That's exactly how they did it, yep. <laughs> I'd imagine them in like tandem keyboards. It must be a good thing though, working with the partner, because you're kind of like a little institution, right? Working through the, the animal of, say, Hollywood or a publisher, you can be like, well, you got a posse. Like, you seem a little bit more imposing. Right. You can throw more weight around because you as an entity are in fact two people. But you're also expensive. That is true. So you got to tell them, like, we're two for one. Do writing duos, do they have to split the fees, whatever you make on the books, or do they actually end up paying? I can speak from the music business perspective. It's sometimes it's up to the band whether to split it, but you do split everything. For writing duos, I imagine it depends on how much clout you have to throw around. Because they're purchasing the item, not the authors, right? Right. Yeah, I, I'd imagine it had to have been a for Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant, like when it was when they were doing well, Hollywood yeah, when romances. they were starting, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Will McRobb and Chris Viscardi, they still work together as both writers and producers. And I assume that when you get involved in the production end of it, like if you're a creative force to an extent where you can throw your weight around as creative advisories, it's much easier to get paid what you each deserve as mm -hmm. writers as well. So you can walk that line. Well, most people working in comic books these days, for example, Palmiotti and Connor are in a position where they're doing all kinds of like creative work for DC in other media. So they're going to get their due as well. It would be good to talk with a writing duo to get the kind of behind the scenes scoop and all that. Get me Jackson Public and Doc Hammer. Oh yeah. That's oh yeah. One. Yeah. That's huge. Oh, I've had it on deck. 
Yeah, the creative minds behind Venture Brothers. I think it's the best examples of having somebody to escalate stuff with you because within the Venture Brothers universe, there's just pages and pages of characters who are just names even. And it's what you get when you get two guys trying to make each other laugh at two in the morning sitting around in a tiny apartment. Or in their case, the Astro Base. Yeah, no, very valid. I mean, like, how could Venture Brothers have the scope that it has? In a single scene, there's so much more going on and so much funnier than it would be if it was the product of a single entity. And also, most of their scenes, if you look, the way they write characters are in pairs. You have Doc and Brock. You have basically any two guys who are random is Jackson Public and Doc Hammer talking to each other. The boys are obviously, you know, twins, the monarch and... Uh, I would say, which one's Dr. Girlfriend? Doc Hammer. <laughs> the one who, oh, they both smoke infinite cigarettes, actually. I take that back. But that's true. It seems like now, I'm just thinking back, most of the scenes, at least all the good stuff, is even when it's not those pairs, is dialogue between two characters. Yeah, 21 and 24, or yeah. So you just must act them out and then write them down. It's, it's kind of crazy how transparent that is. So what we're trying to say is that writing duos are total hacks. Not hacks as in they suck. I mean, like, it, they're hacks not as in they suck, but, like, it's a hack. Like, it's like you're hacking the Gibson. Like, it's the cheat code for writing. Good dialogue. <laughs> Everybody has their best friend. Everybody understands the jokes like, what, you just went to the bathroom. You were gone for like five seconds. What are you pissing in the corner? Everybody's had weird moments like that with their friend that you spend entirely too much time with, I think. Yeah, and then when other people can be in on those jokes because you're two characters that you've now written, that's it, man. Yeah. Jane, Silent and Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. How did that not occur to me? I don't know how much a writing Jason Muse does. Well, it's improv. <laughs> Can I just throw this out here? I think Jason Muse does a lot more writing than he probably gets credit for. I'm not saying he doesn't do much. Oh, and here's a, a doy from film, Joel and Ethan Cohen. So much that they got in trouble for pretending that they were one guy what? from editing. They edited a film and then they, they made somebody up and that fake person won an award, won an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> and so they got in trouble. They're so good. They got in trouble for that. Oh, big man. Time, big time, big time. Oh, because the Academy holds so much fucking clout. Because the issue is now that they didn't use a union editor like they were supposed to. Oh, I was uh, going to say, what are they getting in trouble for using a pseudonym? I mean, everybody well, fucking uh, does that. Well, by the same token, uh, was it Sin City? Was that the one where Quentin Tarantino was involved in some of the directorial process? Yeah. And then uh, they both got kicked out of the DGA, at least temporarily, for... For bringing on Frank Miller. For Frank Miller, that's yeah. the one. Because he was non-union, but also because they wanted to write with the guy. They wanted to do that, you know? Yeah. Frank Miller hate union. Frank Miller smash union. <laughs> well, union smash them. <laughs> but it worked out for everybody. But that's another one as a writing duo in City. Yeah. Not originally, of course. No, but no, no. But, but I mean the film. The film, yeah. The film yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's just better that way. It's almost like Pacific Rim where you're doing the, the two pilots thing. I love that movie so much. I have no right to. Nobody else likes it. Who, who's nobody else, Who man? doesn't like it? What are you talking no about? No one I know except for you guys. Well, <laughs> the nerdy show Posse has your back. <laughs> Whose head do we have to smash in? Yeah, right? There's an example, though. Two pilots, great. Three pilots, you're dead in like five seconds. I'm pretty sure I work with at least three other nerds who like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Anybody who didn't like it was watching it wrong. Do You have to watch it with the idea of Guillermo del Toro sitting in a chair, bouncing up and down, going, this is so awesome. I'm going to show kids how cool giant robots and Godzilla are. If you don't get that, then you're not going to get the movie. <laughs> exactly. Like, stop, lighten up, and then lighten up even more. <laughs> There's a great writing duo, Guillermo del Toro, and then everybody watching the film, because he seems like one of those directors where you go like, oh man, it'd be so cool if this happened and then it happens exactly yes. <laughs> so does that count as a writing duo travis beecham is the originator of the concept but once it got to screen del toro became a massive creative force and they collaborated heavily right he kind of cleaned it up hollywooded it up or i don't know what they did and yeah. clearly him and uh, hideo kojima 
Yeah, there yeah. you go. Silent, Silent Hills. Hills. Gonna be Silent great. Hills. I like how this one's plural. I'm assuming it's the implication that there's multiple. I see Brandon has a theory for that, but that's not really for this. It's, it's <laughs> going to be like, about reality. It's going to be like Quantum Leap or like Sliders, but Silent Hill. <laughs> well, on that note, this has been our double length episode on writing duos. Thank you so much to Ross Butler for suggesting the topic. Well done, Jeeves. We could go on, but we shan't. So good. You know, this microsode reminds me a lot of the kinds of awesome discussions that we've had on Nerdy Show Book Club. Nerdy Show Book Club is a series on Nerdy Show where we talk about what we're reading, interview some authors from time to time, and have a book that we all read, Nerdy Show hosts, as well as the community in between episodes, and then discuss together. That show's been on hiatus for a while, and not by design, more so by accident. But it's because Nerdy Show has a lot of projects going on simultaneously. So we want to bring Book Club back, and we want to bring it back on a regular schedule as its own show, not just a part of the regular Nerdy Show Monday releases. And bringing Book Club back, along with bringing back our RPG show, Pokeballs of Steelix, making our Star Wars speculation series, State of the Empire, a regular standalone series of its own as well, and some other stuff, are all part of a Patreon milestone that we're working towards. If we can get $1,000 a month, then we can hire editors to enable us to release more shows and bring back all these shows that we love doing. So if you haven't yet, please consider going to patreon.com slash nerdy show and subscribing. We will make it worth your while, and not just in the eventual continuation of an awesome show, but also in the form of a ton of support perks and behind-the-scenes stuff, and also the ability to get microsodes just like this one, where you get to decide what we talk about for 15 minutes, or in the case of Ross Butler, who won two microsodes, to stack those microsodes into an even longer discussion. So head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow to subscribe, or if you'd like to give but can only give a one-time donation, you can still go to nerdyshow.com slash support to chip in. You can also support the network by shopping on Amazon, as you would normally do. Just go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon for more info. Speaking of support, we've got some new supporters, and you guys have done us a profound solid, so that as of this episode's recording, the network is pulling in $593 a month. That's money to not just keep all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network up and running, as well as Nerdy.fm, our streaming nerd music station, but also working towards our milestone of being able to set aside some money every month to give back to all the shows on the network and help them make even better shows, or at least buy some pizza. So please welcome new Nerdy Show supporters, Steve Van Sickle, Sarah Penguin, Taylor Birch, Robert McCaffrey, Sean Brown, and I'm very, very honored to present to you our new Nerdy Show producers. Yes, these guys have given at the highest level possible, and there were two of them this month. The very generous, very honorable, very official, fully credited producers of Nerdy Show, Kealis and Stephen Peckham. Thank you so much, everyone. You make sure that we can keep putting out the best nerdy entertainment that we know how. And the line of communication is always open. If there's some other way that you'd like to support or something else you'd like to see us do, you can always hit us up on all of our various social streams and the Nerdy Show forums. Taking us out is a creative duo, Megaran and Storyville, two dudes who've been working together for a long time and have finally put out their first full-length album, Soul Veggies. We played a track of theirs on our most recent State of the Empire episode, but now we're going to play another track, a very fun and funny track that takes a dig at cliche rap. This is Rappin' About Rappin'. I'm rappin' about rappin'. It's a rap within a rap like Inception. It's a rap without purpose or direction. It's a rap without a point or intention. Now check it out. I'm rappin'.
lyrical, I deliver them like delivery. I go on tour, gain fans and more. It opens doors like chivalry. Me and the team, we family. We something like the Incredibles. We bring the heat, earn carrots when we turn up beats like root vegetables. I can't decide if it's worse to repeat the same line twice. I can't decide if it's worse to rap a line that don't rhyme at all. I'm so swag, it don't make sense. Hashtag swag, Twitter feed don't make sense. Stuck in traffic, swag. Drew a pic of a unicorn, swag. Shoes too snug, swag. I'm naming my newborn, swag. shows on the Nerdy Show Network live by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon, brah. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more totally tubular perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdy show. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can give us like surfboard sponsorships or like craft beer sponsorships, you know, whatever. You can subscribe to all the Nerdy Show podcasts via iTunes or SoundCloud. And uh, you can leave a comment, like and share, follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks like at Twitter, Instagram, that shit, Pinterest. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. For more podcasts, 
articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, they've totally got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.